0: This is Meditations for Misfits, and I'm Fred Gruy. Welcome. In this week's podcast, we reflect on wisdom from the ancient Hebrew prophet Micah and the rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus, and consider their wisdom in helping us to navigate the fears and anxieties that surround us in this day and age and the feelings of loneliness. That can suffocate the very life out of us. Oh God, I I, I remember reading in the in your book somewhere in uh, I think it was First Chronicles the verse that that tells us that your eyes gaze to and fro over the whole earth to strongly support those who give their hearts to you. God, when I, when I read those words, I just had that image of like a, a, a lighthouse on the coast with a light going all over. And as you go over the planet this morning, in this moment, in this one moment, on this earth that we all share, there's so much going on. There's so much violence, there's so much cruelty, there's so much uh, noise, there's so much stuff going on all over the planet right now in this moment. But as your eyes are scanning the globe, we ask that your gaze would be arrested here with us as we're really trying to follow you, we're trying to do good. And we ask that you would interrupt our meeting with your very presence and that you would communicate to us how to live in these days of so much turmoil and anxiety and chaos. O Holy One, we pray that you would impregnate these moments with your divine essence and energy and that we would become all that you dream us to be. Oh, Holy One, we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Rabbi. Amen. <laughs> the two texts that uh, Bob read to us this morning are texts that I cherry-picked. I, I chose these. we were not in the lectionary this week because the lectionary reading is a parable of the talents that we dealt with over the summer and I didn't want to repeat myself any more than usual. And so uh, I thought we would uh, deal with these two texts because last week, if you remember, in the parable of the ten bridesmaids, we came across that incredibly sobering line at the end of the story Jesus told where the five foolish bridesmaids that had not prepared correctly for their future, Jesus said to them, I never knew you, which is sobering to say the least. And so it began this, this thought stream of what does it mean to be known by Jesus? What does it mean to know Jesus and to be known by Jesus? And I suggested then that we would deal with that a little bit this week and next week. Next week we get the parable of the sheep and the goats, which is another fun fest. And uh, if you've heard it before, it, uh, the, the, I've already come up with a title for next week, Don't Want to Be a Goat? Nope. And so, uh, but before we get there, I wanted to explore with us a little bit about what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus. So many people in our culture teach that to be a real follower of Jesus, you have to believe certain things. And so there's this litmus test, if you will. You have to mentally assent and agree to either creedal or doctrinal statements about who Jesus is, was, and ever shall be. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in all honesty, as I stand before you, I have to say, I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind at all. And if you remember last week, I pulled out two of the biggies where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Not do what I say, for crying out loud. And I imagine... He went oive at the end of that. Uh, and so for me, being a follower of Jesus, to be known by Jesus and to know Jesus means actually living and doing with my life what Jesus taught us to do. If if that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to actually engage my life in a way that, that connects with the things that Jesus taught. And so these two texts, I think, in absolute clarity, bring forward what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so let's take a look at these two texts. The first one is from the Hebrew prophet Micah, who lived sometime between the sixth and eighth century before the common era, before the year zero. And uh, Micah was speaking to his fellow uh, Judeans and saying, Look, if you want to make God happy, what do you think God wants? And the the idea of the day well, you got to go to the temple and you got to make sacrifices and you got to burn incense and you got to give a lot of money when the plate comes around. And you don't want to smoke or chew or date the girls that do. And these are the kinds of things that make God happy. And Micah, speaking on behalf of God, says, No, you dunderheads. If you want to make God happy, he says, This is what God requires of us. To do justice. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with our God. So it's as simple as that. In fact, I'm gonna take a little what, excursus here. This whole religion stuff is a lot more simple than guys like me have made it. You don't need libraries, you don't need a PhD in theology to be someone who seeks after the divine to be a Jesus follower is really, really, really quite simple to understand. It's hard to do. G.K. Chesterton has famously said, Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found really hard to do. But it's simple to understand. It is not complex. Micah is saying, you want to make God happy? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. That's it stop. That's not hard to understand. To do justice, to to live in such a way, to behave in such a way that we're actually working for the betterment of other human beings, others of our species. To try to take whatever life gives me in terms of money and prestige and esteem and power, to use those things to level the playing field so that everybody has a shot at a good life. That's not hard to understand. And to love mercy, the word mercy in this Hebrew text is the word chesed, which is a rich biblical Jewish word that defies an explanation by one or two or three English words. It's really hard to translate. It is so rich, and penetrating and vibrant. The theologian John Oswald has said that chesed is a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. And another author, Lois uh, Tverberg has said that chesed is not a feeling, it is an action. And it intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. That's what chesed is. And so, the one we call God says, do justice, rescue others, and walk humbly with, with me, with your God. And to walk humbly, the word humbly here in the context means circumspectly, reflectively, to walk with, with, which denotes relationship, connection. However you walk with this being, to do it in a way that we're actively working for the benefit of others with this loving chesed in our hearts. That's, that's all it is. All the rest is footnotes. That's what it is. And so that's what Micah had to say. Then we come to the text that uh, Bob read to us from Mark chapter 12, what does Rabbi Jesus have to say? And a, a, a student came to Jesus or a teacher of the law came and said, look, we've got 613 codified mitzvahs that we're supposed to be following, all this big list of to do, not to do, What? cut through it all. What's the bottom line here? And Jesus says, there is nothing more important than this. This is the most important. And when I read that, it was like, why have I spent so much of my time, money, and energy on the silliness, on the unimportant? I don't want to end my life having spent all that's been given to me on what is not important. But I want to focus on what is, as Jesus says, this is the only thing he ever said, is the most important, is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is nothing more important than that. That's it. Not hard to understand. Hard to do, but not hard to understand. You don't have to be a linguist or a PhD to, to crack this code. This is really easy to understand. Now, these words are familiar to many of us, and I would suggest are not that dissimilar to things taught by other great wisdom teachers. And I'll get to them in a minute. Pema Chodron, the great Buddhist, and Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher. But here's the bottom line for this, and this this is why I've come to this and where it's at. Let's get real for a moment. You know, like Joan Rivers used to say, can we talk here? (laughs) many of us have been deeply troubled by the images we see on our computer screens and the news of what is going on on the planet right now it is, I was in a meeting yesterday where some of the folks said they just had to turn the TVs off because the news is so distressing and disquieting and horrific the images that we see that we can't unsee How do we deal with that? How do we navigate a world that has just gone crazy with the hatred, the violence, the fear, the terror, all of the isms that drive so much of this? How do we navigate that? And I would suggest the great antidote for all that that is thrust upon us it's just go do something good for somebody else. We can sit and we can scream and yell about what's going on in Gaza, in Israel in Ukraine, and Russia, in China. We can scream, we can argue, we can say how unjust, how unfair, this is wrong, This is. we can scream about Washington, D.C., we can perseverate if Donald Trump gets elected again, the world as we know it will come to an end. We can drive ourselves crazy, and we can get all worked up, and we can argue with the people that disagree with us, and we can get afraid, and we can close our doors, and we can crawl in bed into the fetal position, pull the blankets over our head. Or... We can just go do something good for somebody to make somebody else's life a little better. For me, that is the antidote for the chaos and the craziness that we live in. And it doesn't, just pick one. Just pick You know, I, I was teasing with uh, some of the folks after the first service, you know, just one thing. Remember the movie City Slickers and Jack Palance tells all those crazy, just one thing, one thing, just one, just go do it but do it with all that you are. Do justice, love mercy. See, I used to read these words of Jesus when I was younger and Pentecostal and all that stuff. All right, this is what I got to do to make God happy. All right, Jesus says, if you want to make God happy, well, you got to love God and you got to go love the people in your world. So, all right, I got to do that to make God happy. What I learned, which was shocking, I don't know whether it makes God happy, but it sure makes me happy. <laughs> I learned, to my great surprise, doing things with and for others is what makes my life sing. That's why I had a two-month retirement before taking on this crazy task. <laughs> I was sitting around the house, and Nancy's yelling at me. Oh, you're so depressed. you got to do something. you got to get out of the house. you got to get out of the house and now here I am. But it's as we do things with and for others that makes our life seem, that makes us happy. That's what I believe Aristotle was talking about. Aristotle is famous for saying that uh, happiness, eudaimonia is the Greek word he used, is the meaning and the purpose of all of life, the whole aim. An end of human existence is to be happy. Eudaimonia, flourishing. And eudaimonia is a Greek word. It's a compound word. E-U-U means good. And daimonia means to be uh, inspired by a spirit, a muse. And, and, And so even the word is infused with this spiritual dimension. We are infused with something from outside of us that inspires us to live a good, flourishing life. It's not just about happy or good. It's flourishing. It's vibrant. It's pumping on all cylinders. It's being in the zone. That's what happens when we do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Pema Chodron, I told you I was going to quote, the great Buddhist teacher says, the best way to serve ourselves... Is to love and care for others. So if life is beating you down, you're getting crazy and you're worried, go do something for somebody else. It will help pull you out of it. And we have plenty of opportunities. We're going to listen to our dear friends, the Tedarenkos, here in a little bit about their journey. And you know they scrimp and save every penny they get to send money back to their family in Ukraine to try to help them survive. And we'll be able to be a part of that if you want. And if, if you want, Thursday, as Kathleen says, they need turkeys, they need cooked food, they need help giving food to people that don't have anything. You want to feel good, through, you want to get out of the blues, go help somebody have a better life. That is the antidote to the inhumanity as a species that we see all around us. I can remember years ago, I had the privilege to hear Henry Nowen one time, live and in person. Henry Nouwen was a, a, a great spiritual teacher. He was teaching at Yale Divinity School. I was living in New York City. I had a friend at Yale Divinity School. I went up for the day and got to sit on a, on a class that Henry Nowen talked about or taught. And so I was sitting in, and, and in the middle of the class, Nouwen was going on about the things of the day and the news and how disquieting disquieting, it can be to watch the news, and how do you sit there and see the images that we see and know the reality that other people are facing because of our othering of them, our hatred, excuse me, our hatred of them because of their uh, religion, or the color of their skin, or their sexual identity, or whatever crazy ideas we come up with, that we make them different and in, in, in the inhuman things we do to others because of those. He says, how do you watch that and then sit down and and have a meal and talk about your day? Well, how was your day, sweetheart? Well, how, do you, how do we do that? We, we, the, the disengagement is so hard. And he was just sort of riffing on that kind of a thought and then now instead, and said and the words just sort of tumbled out of his mouth he says you know there are some people that can't disengage when they're assaulted by those images and those ideas of and they see what's going on they can't just stop and sit down and have dinner and talk about their day and he says we generally put people like that into mental institutions because they don't have filters to withdraw stuff and and then he said I wonder if we're locking the same people up and we're the crazy ones that can just watch that stuff and be unaffected. Oh, and when he said that, it was like the room, like an invisible fist punched everybody in the gut and there was this inaudible, oh. How do we navigate this stuff? We live in a world that is just filled with hatred and chaos and meanness. And I'm suggesting if Jesus is to be believed, if Micah is to be listened to, that we work to make life better for other folks as best we can given the limited resources and energy and stuff that we have. Anything we do to help others is good. And not only is it good, it will help us feel better, and our lives will be better for it. I'll reference to you, particularly for our congregation. I have been reading this week um, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who I love. And Heschel was on this passage I was reading. He was talking about what we do with uh, senior citizens or senior adults or aged citizens in our culture. And he hates the word retirement, Heschel does. And he thinks much of what we do for our senior adults, which many of us are, he thinks it's just absurd that we turn senior adults into children And the whole object of retirement is how many games can you play and how much fun can you have and what recreation can you do. That that's what we, he says it's absolutely inane to turn our aged folks into children. And and he gets to the point, like how much pickleball can you play? I mean, you know, what, that what's important is the legacy that we leave behind. And while recreation is important for folks our age to keep things, but you move it or lose it, but what legacy are we leaving? How are we leaving this place better than what we found it? What are we doing to advantage others? That's what's important, according to Heschel. And and he says, remember to build a life as if it were a work of art. And to remind our senior adults that every moment is an opportunity for greatness and that our legacy is really important and that's what will make our life sing. All right, so I've, I've quoted Micah, I've quoted Heschel, I've quoted Pema Chodron, I've quoted Jesus. Now I'm going to give you my biggest teacher, my son Elijah. My son Elijah put it so simply for me. He said, look, bottom line is when I do good, I feel good. When I do bad, I feel bad. (laughs) It's just not more complicated than that. So my encouragement, if you want to be happy, don't talk about doing good. Just go do good. No matter how big or how little, just go do something. To make the world a little better place. And you will find to your great astonishment that it is what makes your life happy.